0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show
1: description to support now.
2: You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Lloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief, as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago, or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to GriefCast. I hope you're having an okay week. I'm having an okay week. I went to the seaside, and that's always good for clearing up the cobwebs, as old ladies like to say, and now me. Just a reminder, we have a live episode coming up. June the 6th at the Udderbelly Festival on London's South Bank. I will be joined by Jeff Lloyd from the Reasons to be Cheerful podcast, Camille Ucam from Birthday Girls podcast, and Channel 4's Lee and Dean, and the incredible stand-up Josie Long as well, who hosts Shortcuts. If you enjoy the show, I can almost guarantee you will enjoy four people sitting around chatting about deaths and more. So head to the Udderbelly website for tickets. This week I'm talking to stand up writer, broadcaster, general legend Arthur Smith. Arthur is known as the self-appointed mayor of Balham, uh, he hosts BBC Radio 4 Loose Ends, he hosts BBC Radio 4 Extra's Comedy Club, he's been going to Edinburgh for so many years I can't even give you the number, and he's generally just an incredible, brilliant, hilarious man that consistently, authentically remains Arthur Smith. Arthur came in to talk to me mainly about his dad, Sid. Welcome to GriefCast. I'm here today with comedian Arthur Smith. Hello.
1: Hello, carrie
2: I was just thinking, as we just started talking, your voice is incredible. You've got something like, (laughs) do you think it's improved with age?
1: I don't know. I think it has. It was a bit more nasal when I was younger. But uh, yes, people like my voice. And I sometimes think I should get myself a job where I just speak very quietly (laughs) for people who are trying to go to sleep. Yeah, it's nice. Are you trying to go to sleep? (laughs) Then I'm here to help you. It's Off of, you go. <laughs> it's nice and
2: threatening at the same time.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, it's really nice.
1: Well, Maybe that's because I've listened
2: to you so much on the radio as well. Maybe I'm like, <laughs> you're, when you're used to a voice as well, it's quite nice, isn't it? Because you're like, oh yeah, I know that. Well, is it an impolite question to ask you like how long you've been doing comedy?
1: There certainly isn't an implied <laughs> question, so feel free to ask me.
2: How long have you been doing comedy?
1: Well, it depends what you mean by doing
2: comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, or how long have I been paid for it? And how long have I been? Yeah. I mean, I was doing it since I was a little boy. I remember, I, I when I was about eight or something, our teacher came in and said, "We're doing. Uh, we're going to do a production of Peter Pan for the school." And I thought, ooh. And then I, so I was so excited. I went home and wrote the script for what <laughs> I thought it might be, which That's was amazing. obviously unperformable, presumably. <laughs> but she said, "Well, you can play any part you want." And I thought, I know, I'll be Captain Hook.
2: Yeah, good part. Yeah, because
1: mm-hmm. you know. And then I came on as Captain Hook with my, uh, you know, with my uh, coats with me, you know, my coat I, like, hanger, hanger. Hand that my mother had fashioned for me. And brandishing it around, trying to terrify everyone, but they all started laughing, uh, at yeah. which point I thought, <laughs> "Oh, yeah, maybe that's what I meant to do <laughs> oh, but so it was a nice. long time before I mean I, I had you know I did a review at university and we went to Edinburgh. oh wow, and with that, we ended up doing radio series and things, but I mean I had lots of other jobs, i didn't go professional till I was about thirty.
2: Oh wow. What other jobs were you doing? Well,
1: I was a road sweeper. Were you? I was a dustman. Oh,
3: my God. A postman.
1: And I taught English to foreign students.
3: Oh, wow. Which
1: was... That was a really good job, looking back on it, because it makes you very attentive to your own language and you also, you know, get a sense of other languages and other nationalities, because I taught all nationalities. I remember one day it started snowing outside the class when I was teaching and it turned out three of the class had never seen snow. You know, oh one God. was from Iran and one was from Iraq. It was before that war. And I ju- and they were so excited, I just abandoned the lesson. We <laughs> all went out into the snow. And you'd never seen three oh, people wow. so excited at seeing snow.
2: That was so nice.
1: Yeah, it was a wonderful moment.
2: My yeah, brother, I enjoyed
1: teaching, yeah.
2: That's what my brother used to do for a long time. He taught English as a foreign mm. language. And uh, he was always having a go at me because I didn't realise until he started teaching that how um, colloquial I am. <laughs> so when I would talk to people whose English is their second language, yeah. I was sort of like, "Oh, you know what I mean?" Like it's kind of that sort of yeah. thing. And he would be like, "Carrie, you can't like that no. is so unhelpful. Be clear.
1: Uh, not only be clear." you also have to avoid anything too idiomatic Yeah,
2: or, God, or I'm full complicate. of, like, literally that's all I speak in is metaphors uh, <laughs> colloquialisms and slang like that's my life. <laughs> well
1: then, uh, yes you can't do that no. if someone doesn't speak English
2: No, it's not very fair, is it? To be if fair? you
1: like I will speak to you in the manner of an English teacher.
2: Yes, please
1: who you could understand very well even if you didn't speak English currently. Yeah, and nice. I will not use any funny little idioms see, <laughs> no, but... there, they might not know what idiom then. yeah. Depend yeah. What, le- what level you're at.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you're you're, you're okay here. I think otherwise, I, I can only operate on slang really. So <laughs> I'll get I'll get stuck. Wow. So you took. So you went until you were 30. Then you started. Went, okay, I'm going to do this comedy lark all the time. Was that a choice? Like, oh you yes. Sort
1: of... I think by then I would. I mean, I'd already done a fair bit. I mean, there was yeah. a brief period where I was teaching, and I was being on the telly. And uh, wow, I once gave my class the, the homework of answering questions about my performance on the telly the previous <laughs> evening. Well, and they had
2: to practice their English? Yeah. Did you say, was Arthur good?
1: <laughs> no, I never actually said it. It was more a question of the uh, tenses and uh, oh, questions. Oh, that's so sweet. Because you realise, you get to realise all the different tenses. It's yeah. useful in to know the grammar of your own language. Yeah. I know the difference between the present simple, the present continuous, the past perfect, <laughs> the blue perfect, the... Oh, uh, my God. The past, condi- the conditional, the three conditionals, the etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> yeah,
2: my brother does that, and he's always slightly picking me up because yeah. I have an English degree and I don't know any of those things. <laughs> and sometimes in grammar, he'd be like, "No, that's not how you'd say that." I'm like, "Oh, but it sounds fine. It sounds all right, doesn't it?" Yeah. Well,
1: he's right. You're right. You're both right yes. in a the way. There's oh. a correct, but if people can understand you, yeah, it that's doesn't the main really matter, thing, isn't it?
2: it? That's the main thing. Thank you for saying we're both right. Well, that makes, <laughs> that that normally solves an argument as long as both of us are right. So, what was um. What was your first gig then? Was it the Edinburgh Review or like...
1: No. Uh, well, I suppose... Well, it depends my, well my first gig at, at universities, I mean, we did put on reviews there. Right. But I suppose first sort of big public gig, well, it was at the Edinburgh Fringe yeah. in 1977. Wow.
2: Was it tiny then? Was that when Edinburgh was tiny?
1: Well, I mean, the city the was city. still <laughs> the same size. <laughs> but, it, well, I relatively, it, was, it like, was still...
2: And then they built so much more. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: right. Ever <laughs> since the Fringe started... Well... To give you an idea, there were about—I mean, it was still quite big. It was still yeah. a big thing. There were something like forty Sorry, comedy shows. I didn't mean shows. tiny in a. No, yeah, I know it was. There way. were about forty comedy shows, probably. Which, yeah,
2: because now there's about two thousand. Yeah, isn't there? yeah.
1: But of those, and they were they, no one was doing stand-up then. No, they were. Wow. It was all reviews. they used to uh, call them,
3: yeah, which yeah. was a
1: group of, of sketch shows, essentially. Yeah. God. Stand-up didn't really arrive till the, the early '80s. Wow.
2: But you had it did exist as a thing, but just not in. Well, there
1: there were the stand-up that existed then was people like Jim Davidson, right, Bernard oh, okay. Manning, yeah, uh, Stan Baldwin. Yeah, it was very male, very sparkly dinner jacket, very <laughs> troops of jokes yeah. marching by, often about you know that were racist or homophobic yeah. or sexist. So the, the 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 new comedy, as it were, alternative comedy. Yeah. Alternative cabaret, as it started out as, was sort of came sort of with the arrival of Thatcher and the opening of the comedy store, yeah, yeah, which were about the same time. And there was a real division then in the country that's hard to imagine now, I think. Between (laughs) you know, but you know, you were either you either hated Thatcher or you loved her, she was very divisive in an odd way. It's a bit like that now, I suppose. Yeah,
2: I was going to say, it's pretty either Mm. you're you love Brexit or you hate Brexit, like it's we do. We do like a yes or no, don't we, English people? We do like a, what are you, what <laughs> yeah. side do you want? So then I can judge where I am in status to you. Yes, yes. Um, well,
1: I mean, and back then there was like the Falkland War where, yeah, you know, yeah. it was virtually, it was quite shocking if you were against it, as most of us in the comedy circuit yeah, were. It was yeah. quite a left-wing thing then, comedy. Yeah. And it was deliberately trying to purge the the, the racist and sexist themes of the previous bunch
2: yeah God, it's, it's i found it absolutely fascinating the history of it culturally um but obviously I, i'm just wary that i'll just start talking to you about the history of comedy oh, and no, that's no. not where we're here no. um but it's very interesting um so arthur who are we remembering today
1: well i was i think principally my father mm. but it occurs to me that i always remember when i first became aware of the idea of death and what it meant really was when I was about eight or seven or something, not long before my appearance as <laughs> Captain Hook, I had a little friend in this block of flats we lived in, Is a this little in London? girl in London, mm. in Bermondsey, right. and and then one day she wasn't there and I'm told that she died and I just didn't, I think it was then I realised, oh I see, so anyone can die, oh I see, so Probably my mum and dad will die sometime, and my brothers. Oh, and me as well. It was the kind of realisation that death existed, which I think you don't really understand until you're about seven or something. Well,
2: that's still quite young, I think, to have that kind of, like, Mm. that's quite a deep philosophical realisation at seven or eight. Some people take ages to to get there.
1: I don't know. I think that's why the Catholic Church, they'd say, don't they, give me a child yeah, to the yeah. age of seven. I think there's a crucial turning point yeah. around there when you understand that you're going to die.
2: What had happened to her? Do you remember? I,
1: I only found out years later it was leukaemia or oh, something wow. like that. Yeah. So and they I just bu-
2: told you, she? oh, she's died and that was
1: it? Yeah, she's gone and I didn't really understand it. And I'd oh. been, you know, she'd been my little friend yeah. and how could she? She was younger than me. How could that happen? God. But I suppose, uh, yeah, obviously... You don't go through life without people dying around you, but I've been quite lucky. But I suppose, yeah, the, the, probably the, the the biggest moment for me, the most significant death, first significant death, was my father.
2: And what was his name?
1: Sid Smith. Uh, oh,
2: that is such a good name. Yeah, <laughs>
1: it's a and great name. Where we're sitting here now in uh, South London, he would have been a policeman on patrol wow. around here. He was uh, PC Sid Smith. <laughs> The Kennington uh, Metropolitan Police, although before then, he had had the most horrific experience in the war. Oh, right. Um, he was called up at the age of 19, oh, God. sent to Scotland, where he was put on a boat with a load of troops, and they went on a boat on an American troopship all the way around Africa, to North Africa, so they went right the long way round because right. you couldn't go because the, at the time the Mediterranean was in the control of the Germans, all the way round to North Africa, and then he was and he fought in the Battle of El Alamein, wow. and he was captured there, and from there he, him and his fellow POWs were paraded through the streets of Palermo, then. Sent to some ghastly camp in Italy, where his weight and he was about the same size as me went down to six and a half stone, wow. and they eat rats. And then, then he went and worked as slave labour down a copper mine for a year in Saxony, and then he finally ended the war at Colditz Castle. Well, he went to another place, then Colditz Castle, which became a very famous, is because yeah. there was a film about it and then a TV series because yeah. it was a famous place where they sent people who tried to escape although my father hadn't that and it was mainly for officers so my dad's job was really to kind of wipe the arse of the posh blokes who were in there
2: Wow, oh my god and then
1: finally they were liberated by the Americans and I think god what a moment that must have been <laughs> You know, we'll, oh, we won't ever experience the moment of no. God—the gates opening and yeah. American troops coming in, and the gu- German guards have put their arms down. Oh
2: yeah, it's, it's... being
1: free! My God, after oh, two and a half years, he'd yeah. been in prison.
2: Yeah, we talked. I've talked about my grandpa was captured in. Um, oh my God, he was in Changi Jail. Which is, oh, God. yeah, um, so he was captured by the Japanese and was oh, a, blimey. and when he came back to Wales, was, yeah, like six stone.
1: Yeah. And they,
2: they had, I've seen a newspaper clipping of them all. And um,
1: how, how long was he in there?
2: Uh, <laughs> he's in there a, a, a good yeah, part of the war. He think, got captured yes. quite early. Yeah. Um, my I think God, it was like. He must
1: have had seen so many people die. Around yeah. Here.
2: Oh my God. So many, so many. And I, it was like a his. That Welsh battalion all got sent, sent yeah. over there, and I think, yeah, not not many. When you came say battalion. Sorry, what do I mean?
1: Battalion. <laughs> battalion. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm turning sorry. to your brother. No, battalion. <laughs> What's
2: battalion? Is that American? I don't. Am I just saying it wrong? I'm I actually think blushing. You
1: just invented a word, it's nice <laughs> it though. It sounds nice, batillion. doesn't it?
2: Batillion.
1: Yeah, I think it's more of an adjective. Okay. Her magnificent battillion stance. Oh, okay. Stripes. I'm battalion. just making that okay. up. No,
2: I liked it. I liked well, it.
1: Uh, did your. Granddad ever talked to you about it?
2: Yeah, he did. I've, we've talked on the show. He was very, um, yes, he was captured by the Japanese and was in Changi jail for, I think, like three four yeah, years. It was, or something. As long as that, it was yeah. a long time. And he was the first, um, so he, once he came back to Wales, he was one of the first people to welcome a Japanese person into his house.
1: Oh, what a splendid man. Yeah, My he was. Because that was... must have been hard for a lot of those guys. It was
2: really hard. And he told I. we've got a recording of him telling this amazing story where the sort of local hotel lady comes to him and says, oh, Mr Lloyd, I've been asked to have a Japanese man. I, I don't want him there. Because obviously so many Welsh people have died mm. in this area. Mm. And he said, no, we must have them. We must show them hospitality. We must show that it's oh. not... Because not, his big thing was... Once he saw how the Japanese officers treated their soldiers, mm. he said that was a big turning point. He Before that, he hated the Japanese. He said, I thought they were evil. And then um, the story he always told was um, a soldier was running, like pulled up to do an errand, left the car running, the engine running, and then he jumped out and got something and then got back into the car. And an officer saw him. And because he'd left the car running, he'd wasted the petrol. And he dragged him out of the car by his... Like hair, basically, and just beat the shit out of him. Ugh. And my grandpa watched this, and he said yeah. it was a real moment. He thought, yeah. "God, if that's how you treat your own people, mm. then this isn't about you're not. They're not evil. They're well, just, my my just father
1: always had a respect for Germans, yeah. actually, because anyway, as far as he was concerned. The, the you know when he he was treated relatively well at yeah. Colditz because they you know he was under the Geneva Convention and uh. he saw Russians for example who had it far worse because yeah. they weren't under the Geneva Convention. Wow. He my father was because I I do a bit I'm doing a show about him, and there was um, there was a moment when we I took him back to Colditz and oh wow when he was 70 and he was re- it was just around us, you know we joined the EU and he wanted to say yes I want to be a part of the EU wow. Go yeah, because there's a bit of my th- show where he come, you know, we because I got him to write his memoirs before he died. and He talks about flying back to England after this two and a half years yeah. and going over the White Cliffs of Dover, and it all sounds like you could imagine Brexiteers having a real wank yeah, over this. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh,
1: but actually, my dad was all for the European Union. I mean, from that generation, you know, the war had the previous two world wars mm. had started in amongst European nations. Yeah. So it seemed like quite a good idea that instead of all being enemies we all become mates yeah
2: that's my grandpa was very much Mm. it's like it wasn't Mm. it was uh, people above you making bad Mm. stupid choices but that's not what we were here for yeah my my
1: father when he was captured he told the story of he was helping an injured british soldier you know and he was surrounded by italian guards and then the italian doctor dealt with this man and the italian doctor took out a picture of his children and said Hitler Mussolini no good and my dad in response said Churchill no good and they kind of bonded in a way yeah, those yeah. two you know that, that was you know that was just ordinary people together ordinary yeah. men and bollocks to all the
2: I know. powers
1: that be that has put them in that position
2: so he talked about it then quite freely with you
1: Yes, I mean, you know, he had his sort of regular set of stories, but yes, yes <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you get yeah. to know the, uh, but yes, he did, he did talk about it, and people, because of course, when it when the film was made,
3: mm.
1: suddenly yeah. everyone was interested in Colditz, oh, particularly, wow. so he became a bit of a sort of mini local celebrity. Yeah, and got asked to right. do talks about it and whatnot, <laughs> and, and then yeah, I took him back to took him back to Colditz Castle when he was seventy, yeah.
2: Wow, that must have been an incredible experience.
1: Yes. I'll always remember the words he said when it first came into view, the this big old ancient castle where he'd been a prisoner, hadn't seen it for four years. He looked at it and he said, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the gags from the show. Right? <laughs> but, yes, I, I mean, I think it's impossible for us really to understand the lives of our parents before we were born. yeah. But, you know, that, especially
2: in wartime, yeah, it's yeah, completely, it's yes. a very, very, well, yeah, hopefully distant time. Yeah. So, literally. how old was he when he died?
1: He, oh, well, he was a reasonable age in a way. He was 81.
2: Wow.
3: Okay. And
1: he'd, um, you know, I and mean, he'd been, he'd smoked fags all his life, although he was never much of a drinker. But it was, it was, I, I, I remember how it happened. Me and my partner were on our way to a dinner party in a taxi, and I got a call from my mother saying, uh, Sid's coughed up blood and he's in hospital and we went to see him. We immediately went down to Bath where they were living then. Mm. They retired to Bath. And the next day we went and then we were sent away while the doctors talked to him and then it was apparent that, you know, he didn't have long left and I walked in and sat with him and the first thing he said was, uh, she's been a wonderful wife, you'll look after her, won't you? That was his first thought. Oh. Mm. And uh, and then uh, you know he, and then he came home. And he died at home, and in the in the last few weeks, he got really desperately sad. And I remember coming down one night for a piss in the middle of the night, and I saw him and sitting there. And he said, "I'm desperate." But then somehow, I think that happens. He he seemed to go off into another sort of zone almost Mm. slowly, where he was sleeping more and more. And then I remember one afternoon, I went up and he was in bed, you know, asleep mostly, and, you know, he didn't have that long and we were being helped by Macmillan nurses and whatnot. And he said, I've been thinking about religion. And I said, what? And he said, oh, never mind, he went back to sleep. And then I (laughs) realised said, I've been thinking about religion. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he'd never been a religious man particularly. And so I went back and he was still asleep. And I said, well, I don't know what happens to us in the end, said Dad, but, you know, maybe you'll be off cycling to Devon again with your old friend Morris. And then maybe Hazel, that's his wife, my mother, will come by eventually. And we'll all come by in the end. And I kind of thought I detected a little smile and then... He died that night, so I wow. choose to believe that, yeah. However, possibly erroneously, that I that I left him with an image of something that he could go to.
2: Yeah, that's really beautiful.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a. Well, he was much loved. He was a hugely popular uh, man. I feel so privileged that I had him as a father. When I see some of my, you know. friends, parents or the terrible troubles they've had or people who've had abuse or their parents died. I mean, in a way... I sometimes think that my comedy career has suffered because I had such a nice dad who lived to a decent it's, age. Yeah, you know. I mean
2: it does it does it does fire people up, doesn't it?
1: Surprising if you yeah. look at the number of comedians yeah. whose one of their parents died very young or yeah. abused them or left them or I got mean that's them. how
2: this show survives, I yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'd yeah, be well, really yeah. in trouble yeah. if it wasn't
2: causing people to go into comedy. <laughs> my mum listens and she always like for a while, she'd always say, "It's always the dad, isn't it?" They've all lost their dad really young, and I was like, there's obviously a theme developing here." Mm, but mm. yeah, I think it does. Deep trauma does, you know, cause comedy. Well, but I it know doesn't you look to, at, you know, yeah, you,
1: no, but uh, not just comedy. I mean, yeah. there's any number of uh, artists and yeah, writers. Yeah. If you look at them, they've had a mother or a father who died young or left them, or yeah, you yeah. know, Eddie Izzard, Alan yeah, Davis, yeah. and. and Picasso probably. But actually my mother too, so in a way I'd like to talk about my mother because she oh you know, she never lived alone, you know. She was from that generation. Yeah, and she yeah. the day she got married, she moved out of the house and moved in with my dad. You know, wow. I mean, she moved out of the family house. Yeah. And then there she was. And she could be feel herself tipping into dementia. Mm. Which, you know, which her mother had had and her sister as well. And she was, it was desperately sad for her. And she just obviously thought, oh, what the fuck, and started drinking three bottles of wine a day. Wow. And and then she was forgetting where, you know, I used to get phone calls saying she'd been found wandering about and, and, Oh, you know, and in a sense, and in a sense, my mother's descent into dementia was another kind of grieving yeah, I yeah. have to do. I had to do, but then actually, fortunately, that's turned out all right in a way. In a way, because we realised, yeah, we had to put her somewhere, although she didn't really want to go. But now she's in a, a home, and she's in the dementia wing, and she's just sublimely brilliant. <laughs> really? Because, yeah. Wow. Because yeah, because. You know, I realise with dementia, you know, people say you should live in the moment, but if you if you can't remember what the last moment was <laughs> yeah. and you don't know what the next one's going to be, it's your only option. Yeah. And my mother remains very articulate. She was always a clever sort of grammar school, working-class girl, and even now, she I go and see her quite often and she'll start on a sentence that appears to be making sense and the trees will come and look. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? Because I remember <laughs> something similar when I was a girl, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm there reconstructing the kind of sentences yeah, yeah, yeah. my mother delivers. But actually she says, hello dear, and she's beloved by the carers because she's lovely to them all. And, you know, she goes for a little walk every day. And she doesn't know what Brexit is. She's never heard of <laughs> Donald Trump. I you mean, know. you can see the yeah, reaction, can't absolutely. you? Absolutely. Well, yeah. I do a joke, which is true though. I, was, I was once sat watching the news with her, and she said, uh, and I, and it was awful. You know, it was going. I said, Oh, what a terrible world we live in. And my mother said, Yes, I would hate it, <laughs> 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 which is a sort of understandable. World. But so, in fact, now you know, she was so desperately in grief and misery after my father died.
2: Well, yeah, they must have been married for a, such a long time. Yes, yeah, so yeah.
1: over 50 years. Wow. Yeah.
2: It's it, like you said it's this that slightly It's almost impossible to imagine that these days, isn't it? Because people don't marry that young and that Mm. that way that your life would have just gone from family to creating another family. Yeah. My granny and granddad on my mum's side, when my granddad died, my granny died two weeks later. And everyone just said she just went,
1: no. I'm just not doing it. That was probably, yeah. I mean, that's not an uncommon story. Yeah, it's
2: not. It's not at all. And you can understand when you have... What world do you know without them? Like it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's it Must be well very for amazing. my mother.
1: She just wanted to die. I mean, I yeah. think probably if she could have just taken a pill that would have quickly done for her, yeah, she probably yeah. would have done. Yeah. She certainly was all for uh, you know sign you know signing the uh, do not resuscitate and that wow. sort of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: But it was quite a palaver because you have to get um, you know you have to essentially take over all her bank records and yeah. get you know responsibility for it. Uh, yeah, that was sad. That was a kind of grieving. But like I say, in a sense, we've come out the other end of that yeah. because she's just sort of, you know, joyous now. And she she really doesn't care about dying, doesn't really know if she's going to and yeah. would be entirely fine if she did.
2: That's kind of amazing, isn't mm. it? Like you said, to sort of reach that place. it's.
1: But I mean, as we all live much, as we live longer, you know, dementia is actually, it's, you know, because they've got... No idea how to cure dementia, really. Uh, You know, that's going to become a big problem. Apparently 50% of people over 95 have dementia, half of people. And, you know, there's going to be more and more people living to a long age. Or maybe not. Maybe we're all going to be nuked tomorrow. (laughs) In which case, eat, drink and be Be merry for tomorrow we die. (laughs)
2: That's it. Perhaps that's the plan. That's the government plan to make all these mistakes. So it yeah. could just be like this will make um, old people care a lot easier. So, how old were you when your dad died then? Well,
1: I was quite old. I was 47. So, oh, I mean, yeah. I was very lucky.
2: Yeah, yeah. In that
1: sense that he lived to that age, especially given what he'd been through. Yeah. And, you know, and the fact that he'd been a, a smoker all his life.
2: So, he'd seen you do the comedy. How did he yeah. feel about that? Oh, we loved
1: it, <laughs> it to an almost embarrassing extent. <laughs> my mother was a bit well, yeah, very good. Yeah. But my dad, he couldn't resist. He, you know, when I took him to Colditz that time, and I was being, you know, I was on lots of things then. He couldn't stop saying, yeah, "Did you see? Him? He was on Wogan last week." And I to say, "Oh, please
0: be Aww. quiet,
1: Dad." That's he. So sweet. Uh, and there was one. Uh, maybe I should recite it for you as a yeah. give you a chance to have a bit of a snooze. <laughs> there was a poem I wrote because when I when I, I I was always aware of the huge contrast between the fact when he was twenty one he was in a prisoner of war camp eating rats, yeah. um, <laughs> and I at the same age. Was being a, a student in Paris for a year, wow. uh, teaching English as a foreign yeah. as a foreign language in a French school, and living the life of Riley. Yes, in, I can
2: imagine <laughs> or Riley
1: in Paris. <laughs> but nevertheless, I had a bit of a broken heart, and my father had a story that that was a broke because not long after he was captured, they realized they finally got letters from home. And when he'd gone away, my father was engaged to a woman called Edna, wow. and he got two letters that were written three months apart. But he opened one after the other, and one said she was sorry she was seeing a Canadian airman, and the second letter I read immediately after announced she'd married him. Wow! So he not you know he was not only in a six and a half stone prisoner yeah. with no possibly way of escaping but he was also, uh, his, he'd been dumped.
2: Yeah, his girl had left him. Oh yeah. my God.
1: But I also, at the same time as I was that age, I had a bit of a broken heart from a woman yeah. who left me. So there was this one particular poem that I used to do sometimes that he um, that he loved of all the things I ever did and I yeah. think it was a bit because he was a bit in the same situation although far, <laughs> far worse obviously. So I will now it's recite peace. it for you. Yeah, you can yeah. doze off for, uh, it'll be about <laughs> one minute 30 okay. seconds so here we are in paris in spring the lovers all love and the clochard all sing but every morning through the eight o'clock blue the postman comes with nothing from you there is the art de triomphe the boulevard saint michel the musée des beaux-arts but no you so I dip my croissant in my café au lait, I open the window and cool in the day. But in spite of the Seine, the birds and the sun, it's no fun in Paris buying garlic for one. There is the rue Mouffetard, the jardin des plantes, the marché aux Puces, but no you. So I heave myself on the clean Yancour line and the basker there, he sings so fine that I'm lost in the world of the Metro men till I see you're not there and it hurts again. There is the Tour Eiffel, the Champs-Élysées, the Louvre, shut on Tuesdays, but no you. I ain't gonna live in Paris no more. Get the 9.57 from the Gare du Nord. But whenever, wherever the train may go, you won't be there to kiss me hello. There'll be France, England, America, every place, all of them, without you. I want to
2: give you a little clap. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Daria. That's beautiful. I love that. That's yeah. amazing. So well, is that one of his, was that one of his faves?
1: That was his favourite, of oh. all the things I did, yeah. Because oh. I think, like I say, he was stuck there abroad with a broken heart, yeah, but yeah. like I say, in much more severe conditions. What's At he... least I could go home on the 9.57. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: You didn't have to eat a rat to get there.
1: No. <laughs>
0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Adloyd. Was he funny? Do you think that's yes, where you got it from? Yes, he was yeah.
1: funny. He was a natural teller of anecdotes, wow. which I've discovered doing this uh, show about him. Because he left this, we got him to write this memoir, which yeah. he wrote in his copper, copper plate writing. Uh, and my mother corrected all the spellings <laughs> and grammar. Uh, and so often, there's a big punchline at the end of one of his <laughs> stories. And yeah. he's got a lot of stories, apart from the war ones, which yeah. are not quite so funny, obviously. Well, even there, there's some funny ones. He's got a funny bit about when he's in Colditz, when they were eating a little bit, the way he got up a bit. And I, he said, I found my sexual feelings began to return. And I discovered I, I rather fancied Ginger Story. But then I noticed, so did everybody else. (laughs) Ginger was quite an ugly bloke, but he seemed (laughs) to have some degree of femininity. (laughs) I mean, it's really funny stuff. And some of his uh, tales being a copper on the South Bank. Oh, my God, yeah. Where he was constantly... I mean, he used to be on the beat in a way that you don't really see coppers anymore. And the night beats. He he talks about how he was... uh, uh, you know, he was he was doing the Lambeth Walk. He walked up and down Lambeth Walk, which is a road, not just yeah. a song, <laughs> for eight hours at a time at night. And then, you know, and there was really no one about then. And, uh, and he described how he discovered there was a, a little shop where rats used to go in and he stood outside with a bit of string, a bit of cheese on the end <laughs> of the string with his truncheon as a way of entertainment, trying to bash a rat on the way out. <laughs> oh, Rats he- seem to feature quite yeah, heavily yeah. in my dad's life.
2: Yeah, heady days when there was not much to do of nighttime policing.
1: Yeah, well, having said that, you know, he mainly had to deal with drunks. He had lots of the, the, He's got, and he's got a funny story about uh, a woman who came up and tried to kiss him uh, <laughs> outside the old Vic where he was patrolling. <laughs> And he was really embarrassed. He said, please go away. And then a little crowd gathered and she said, give us a kiss. You know, and, and then and someone had taken a picture of this. And in this show, I've got a picture of my dad wow. in his 20s standing there looking absolutely terrified <laughs> in his coppers outfit with this little woman trying to kiss him. <laughs> It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's such a brilliant image. That's so amazing.
3: Well,
1: yeah, and you 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 get to see, you know, he had lo- all, he had lots of police friends, and although he was deemed to be a bit unusual because he was a, one of the few policemen who was against hanging, voted Labour, yeah, and also because that was another thing at the time. He, he 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 people obviously it was illegal to be gay, and. Um, he was once called to the station when the transport police needed a proper copper to arrest a guy who'd been found uh, you know in a you know with some other bloke in the toilet or something mm. uh, my dad really didn't want to arrest him but he had to but this and it was a doctor who, from St Thomas's who wow. said to my dad brilliantly i'll tell you what copper if you ever uh, you ever spent a night with me you'd never want another woman <laughs> which really made my dad laugh but he had to arrest him but he really didn't want to you know oh, he was surprised that he was a very yeah. Liberal man, wow. and also he was a huge, very popular with the Rastafarians who used to get arrested for smoking grass, <laughs> because there's a child he had met, Haile Selassie, the Emperor. Of, yeah, because his his dad was in royal protection at the time, and Haile Selassie had been, you know, uh, was uh, had to leave Ethiopia.
2: Yeah,
1: and uh, my. Granddad had to guard him, and he apparently was a very nice man, Haile Selassie. So, he invited me granddad's family around for tea, and my dad went to. Oh my God. Big, Yeah, so, the, and amazing. he used to drop this to the Rasta guys out yeah. at Kennington Nick. They say, Oh, Sid, you're a new Selassie, man. You know, he was, he was a very popular. I remember as a child walking along the road with him once. And these two drunks came... This is off when he was off duty, came running at us. And I thought, oh, blimey. But they just ran past me and slapped Sid on the back and said, hey, Sid, is this your nipper? You know, oh. he was a popular guy wow. with the people he arrested. And he only arrested them... He didn't really like arresting people. He'd only <laughs> arrest them if they really needed a sort of roof for the night.
2: It sounds... Almost sitcom like, it's so lovely. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. always sounds like you could see, yeah. Well,
1: in a sense, there was a thing which you'll be too young to remember, Kariada, called Dixon of Doc Green.
2: I've heard of it, yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't remember watching it, and but it, yeah. was,
1: it was a bit like that, though. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he, he was, uh, yeah, PC Smith of Kennington Nick, but uh, yeah. Um, although he. You know, there was a lot of corruption in the police then and he knew about it, but he didn't want to get involved in it. He was about the most honest man I ever knew, my father, I think. Wow. Because I always remember there was one incident when I was at university in my last year and I'd become interested in the theories of Marcel Proudhon, the French anarchist, who said property is theft. Right. Which had led to me... Stealing a Cornish pasty from the <laughs> from the university campus.
2: I mean, you've got to start small, yeah. Before you take uh, the buildings off the, you yeah, know. Yeah,
1: but unfortunately, I was nicked on my first outing. Oh uh, no! But that, and I was, you know, I was a proper student with a big afro oh, yeah. and a sort of flared trousers made out of deck chairs <laughs> and tie-dye t-shirt, a big greasy moustache, you know. And they, the police came and didn't like the look of me, obviously. And they were looking at my arms for needle marks. And I oh think they God. thought I was a drug addict. sort like, of Cornish pasty jo- thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. It seemed to be getting a bit out of... <laughs> I'd just nicked a pasty. But then they took me down to the police station and said they were going to... And then I was sat in the police station and then they went away for a bit. And then one of them came back and said, Is your father a policeman? And I said, Oh no, I don't want my dad to know about this. But I said, Yes. And he said, All right, then, you can go. And wow. I always thought, Oh, thank you for that, dad. Although <laughs> I never told him that story. And he never if he told was still him. alive, I probably wouldn't have told him.
2: But so because my they... dad
1: was a copper, you yeah. know, I got.
2: But how did they know? Do you think someone just said? Well, they,
1: you know, they can look these things up. Oh, of course, up, can't of course, them. yeah. They know of everything about you. Carrie Yeah, I'm
2: being too trusting. How yeah. would the police know? A
1: fact. <laughs> they just asked Facebook, and they tell them. <laughs> well,
2: So they just checked, and then they were like, "Oh, he's a copper's son." Yeah. And I guess hopefully, then they went, "What's he done? He's only stolen a quarter." Yeah, of pasty. you would have
1: thought. Yeah, it seemed like they'd spent a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, they obviously, I think they must have had some information about someone who looked like me who'd yeah. been up to much more no good than a pasty. And Nikki I guess arresting
2: pasty. someone who looks like you at the time probably would have been good wouldn't it be like look at that that's the sort of trouble we're trying to deal with drug taking students yeah Yeah, get them in the police yeah
1: oh they didn't like the students the norfolk constabulary (laughs) (laughs)
2: wow that's very nice that he did something without even without ever knowing it Yeah,
1: yeah yeah although he did know when i got arrested in edinburgh at the end of my late night alternative tour
2: what happened then
1: uh well me and Simon Munnery were arrested. I was charged with breach of the peace and possession of a megaphone <laughs> because I'd been patrolling down Right. But then they, the police were only there because a comedian called Malcolm Hardy yeah. had rung a, always used to ring up and tell the police that I was causing trouble at the start of these tours. Mate's <laughs> well, Malcolm never got arrested. You ever heard of Malcolm Hardy? I've heard of Malcolm Hardy. But now Hardy, yeah. there's a there's a death that uh that was, I mean, that was the, his funeral, I would say, is about the best gig I've ever been to.
2: <laughs> what I, what, so what happened at his funeral?
1: Well, you know, he was a bit of a legend. Yeah, not he, if you he was it, he famously was, yeah. reckless. He used to run the notorious tunnel club where hecklers used to meet up beforehand and the show was all over in 15 minutes. Yeah. Everyone had been booed off. Wow. This is in the, you know, at the start of the alternative comedy. Yeah. He was famous for urinating over the audience, um, uh, doing his impression of General de Gaulle by taking his clothes off and putting glasses on the top of his knob, uh, <laughs> by his utter recklessness. There were so many stories of him breaking into zoos. And, oh and he'd been in prison himself for four or five years for wow. nicking cars and, and then then started a pornographic Punch and Judy uh, <laughs> show which and then became a comedian, then ran the and anyway, he drowned in the river, which was entirely appropriate because he'd lived by the river and his dad had been a Thames lighterman. And and his funeral, when you know, it was quite unexpected, although kind of everyone knew he was so reckless, it was yeah. amazing he'd lived that long. And it was in St Alfred's Church in Greenwich, which is a rather grand. Uh, you know a grand victorian older 18th century church and there was me and the vicar were comparing and <laughs> Comparing? Well, yeah. Can you tell the vicar? Have you done
2: this sort of yeah. size gig before? <laughs> well, it was like he, ten.
1: Yeah, it was a bit like that. He and I had a bit of a, and we're, we sang "All Things Bright and Beautiful" to start. with. And, then I, and it was full of every comedian who yeah. ever existed was there in that church that day. So, so there couldn't have been any panel shows happening at all. <laughs> and Jules Holland played. Joe Brown made a beautiful read a beautiful poem, Stuart Lee made a wonderful speech and their their they his famous catchphrases were Oi oi, knob out and fuck it. And they were, they were all flowers arranged in those words <laughs> oh around God. the place. And then he was carried out of the church, his coffin to the tune Return to Sender <laughs> and it was just both hilarious and yeah. utterly moving and beautiful. Uh, it was just the most memorable gig.
2: That's, um, that's so wonderful. I really love when, it, you know, funerals should obviously reflect yeah. someone's life. And if someone is absolutely crazy, you know, their funeral yeah. should be And we had um, Adam Megiddo on of the showstoppers, and both him and I worked with Ken Campbell.
1: Oh, yeah. I and Ken's Ken, funeral no. was. Oh, I bet that was like. Yeah,
2: that. equally very mad very very mad but then all anyone could say was well of course it was like it, no one surprised yeah. and I guess yeah. that with Malcolm it was like yeah of course this is exactly yeah. what just because you're you're dead doesn't mean you're who you were has just disappeared yeah well
1: personally speaking I generally speaking prefer a funeral to a wedding don't you oh
2: really <laughs> I, prefer, I think I'm for weddings, oh no,
1: weddings, a they go on much,
2: that's too true, long. they do go on a bit longer. You yeah, get better food at a wedding, though,
1: right. No, yeah. But on the other hand, like with a wedding, you can look at them and think, I'll give it six months. <laughs> I mean, with a funeral, it's too late. I mean, let's no, be it. honest, this is liable to be permanent. <laughs>
2: There's nothing they can do about
1: it,
2: that's true. I do like at funerals, um. At weddings, at weddings, you get dance, you get a good dance, yeah. you don't get that at funerals, but at funerals you get good chat. Yeah. You have way better chats with much people. Much better
1: stories. Oh it? yeah, much better stories. I story, mean, I've yeah. seen some grim, really rubbish best man speeches, <laughs> but usually because people are so moved yeah, at a funeral. I mean, you... I've done a lot of, I've quite often spoken at funerals just because whoever's, would normally have done. It was just too upset, and yeah, like the yeah. idea of public speaking as well. As yeah, we know, yeah. for most people, unlike us, is a terrifying prospect. Yeah. So, uh, but oh, you know, there, there's a. I think uh, they're more beautiful and true funerals than weddings.
2: No, you're that. That is definitely.
1: And there has to be okay. a lot of stuff about, oh, what a lovely outfit and you know, all of that. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, I guess also... There's more bores,
1: <clears throat> in my experience.
2: Yeah, you're right. No, you're selling me on funerals. <laughs> you're, you're pointing out to me.
1: Have you had a, a wedding?
2: I have had a wedding, and yeah. was yeah. it good? Yeah, I mean, it was good, yeah, it was good. It was I reckon your funeral
1: would be better.
2: <laughs> <laughs> probably right you're probably absolutely right especially after doing this show yeah that's right you get a big turnout feel so bad they're like yeah i spoke to about death I i probably should go have you thought about your funeral
1: uh not really i i uh, well, only in some hypothetical okay. sense. What would... You, My what, brother thinks about his a Oh, lot. really? Yeah. He's already concocted all the music. But I think, well, in a sense, I'm not there. It should be down to other people.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Although I have thought of I could get... Uh, I vaguely thought I'd write a bit of a thing to be read after I died, uh, which would start with saying... Uh, you know, with me from beyond the grave, hello, I was Arthur Smith, unless there's anybody here from Streatham Tax Office, in which case I was Daphne Fairfax. There's anybody <laughs> from Streatham Death Duties Office or something, yeah. Uh, yeah I, still... No, I've sort of imagined it. I haven't written it though, it's true. And yeah, yeah. I haven't done all those quick pay now for your funeral oh, yeah, type
2: Yeah. Thing. Yeah.
1: I mean, part of me does think, oh, well, I'll be dead. What the fuck do I care?
2: I mean, that's it. There is that argument that it's not for that person. It's no, for
1: it's for the people who come after. Them.
2: Yeah, unless you have some, you know, strong. You don't want something to happen. Like, would you? Would you? Have you thought about burial or cremation? Is that something that you'd not would think... to sell your a plan?
1: Do <laughs> <laughs> you know you should do that as part of this on the good, side? Yeah, you can yeah. do funeral plans. You can make a few <laughs> quid out of that. <laughs> yeah, more than the podcast. Uh, I think probably I'd. I mean, I am essentially. A, An agnostic, stroke atheist. So, frankly, you could just shovel me in a bin bag and put me in with the rubbish. uh, In a way, but I don't don't know if
2: you can legally do that. (laughs) No,
1: perhaps not. I don't know if my partner get in trouble for that. (laughs) But I suppose cremation, probably. yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's funny, isn't it that? There are so many huge graveyards yeah. all over the place. I mean, just around London. I, I went to Sean Hughes, a comedian's oh, funeral yeah. a while back in was that Islington Cemetery, and I was—I'd never been there, and it was—it's was quite, you know, somewhere up in you know north-east London, but it's enormous. Yeah. And you sort of think, well, I don't know, and you look at all the graves and the 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 actual work names of the people on them as kind of faded away into the moss and they're all higgled and you think well in a sense just dig it all up and buy flats and build new flats (laughs) for young people (laughs) but uh you know death is uh, a people have different ideas about it I guess and of course for a lot of people that's just the start of something you know you're off to heaven and whatnot well I don't know what that's like to you (laughs)
2: No, <laughs> I mean, so I I used to be much more. um, I mean, yeah, I was raised in that sort of Church of England sense. I used to sort of not question it, be like, well, there's there's heaven, mm. and I think then when my dad died, it was you know, when I was fifteen, it was like, man, yeah, I'm not
1: sure. Well, oh, that... that's a hard age, goodness.
2: Yeah, yeah, but it, it does also make you, like you said about your friend at the beginning, kind of go, oh, people just die. That I think that might just be it. Yeah, and you know that's hard when. I think, like especially my older relatives, obviously were like, "Oh, you know, he's in a good place" or something yeah, like that. And yeah. you think,
1: Meh. well, you want to believe that. I mean, I'm I'm a bit in Julian Barnes, who said, "I, I don't believe in God, but I miss him." <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I feel like that. I definitely yeah. feel like, like I missed that when I, I wish was... I
1: I did believe in God, yeah. in a way, because it would make like a lot easier. were death. Yeah. Well, what's the problem? I'm off to some... Yeah. Although there's never really any interesting description of what heaven might actually be like. It's
2: very vague, isn't it? It's very there's vague. A good,
1: again, Julian Barnes had it in his book, History of the World in Ten and a Half Chapters, he describes a uh, one of the stories is a, a man wakes up in this sort of hospital, so he doesn't quite understand what's happening. He asks for a cup of tea and a cup of tea is brought to him and it 's the best tea he's ever had in a cup that he'd always loved for, <laughs> and then slowly he realizes he's in heaven he's in a right. sort of materialist heaven. Yeah. And he can eat anything he wants He gets to sleep with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> he plays in the cup final and scores three goals in the final. And then and then it kinda of goes on for a bit like this. It's quite comic. And then and then he gets to play golf and he think but of course eventually he goes round every hole in one because yeah, he's yeah, in heaven. He's, he's done it. At which point he thinks, well, What's the point of going? There's no <laughs> point in doing that anymore. And slowly, and you learn that over hundreds of years, everyone chooses eventually to actually die, wow. because heaven is. I mean, we people talk about you know the immortality is a, actually a terrifying oh, prospect, yeah,
3: and yet people horrific.
1: aim for it. I mean, yeah. there's billionaires preserving all their old cells and whatnot, but. To act imagine, you know, if you got another and would you say it was your seven thousand nine hundred and twenty-two million four hundred and sixteen thousand and thirteenth birthday? I mean, would you still bother with a car? <laughs> I mean, I it's going to
2: make parties difficult, isn't it? Yeah. The music you like, no one there is going <laughs> to like. And the food you're into, everyone will be snobby about. you'll be like, we used to all like little um,
1: quavers. They used to be really
2: popular. Yeah. yeah, it'd be weird. Well,
1: don't worry, you'll become unfashionable soon enough. I'm sure you already <laughs> are, but you. Yeah, well,
2: yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. In Thank you, areas. I am. Yes. <laughs> I've already heard that. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it, that, you know, we strive to live as long as we can and we don't want people to die, but. It really, like you said, it is as long as you. As long, obviously, as long as your death isn't horrifically tragic and or, and traumatic, it, it really should be a blessed. It should, be, and we use that yeah. word blessed. It should be the end of a, yeah. a quite happy journey. Did you feel like that with your dad? Did you feel like he'd lived a good life? And... Yeah,
1: I, I did. I, I didn't. I mean, my only real upsetment was for my mother. Yeah, yeah I yeah. felt you know he'd got to eighty one, given that all he'd been yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was, was not bad, uh, pretty good. And in and, and the actual death, you know, it, it took place over sort of... It wasn't very long drawn out mm. or anything. Uh, so I think, yeah, he had he had a good death, really, in as far as that is uh, possible. Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... Well, my brother's a bit of an expert on these matters. He's a doctor and he's fascinated by death. You know, there's about four ways that you die. There, you know, very suddenly... Mm over a long period or anyway he's worked it all out and um and he likes to put the question to people, well which of the, these ways would you, Do you want prefer to go? to go oh my god i mean there's something to be said obviously for just a sudden
2: yeah but... Well, again like you said it, it, it for you it, going suddenly i imagine is like well you don't know it's yeah. about the people around you exactly yeah yeah we talked about it a lot on the show because my dad had cancer for about 3 months so it mm. was it was sudden, but it wasn't like heart attack yeah. sudden. So You
1: knew it was coming. Oh yeah oh, yeah. Fifteen carrier. That is that is a yeah. horrible idea. What, what was his name, your dad? Peter. Right, well I should like to raise my oh, coffee thanks, here. Arthur. To Peter.
2: Oh, thanks. We've never done that before.
1: I'm sure he would have been happy you were doing this and <laughs> proud of
2: you. Oh, you'll get me going. <laughs> <laughs> um he, I always joked to my mum he would have been very happy that I was that he was being talked about.
1: Yeah, good. <laughs> I think he would have. Um... Does your mum listen to this? Yes, she does. What's her name?
2: <laughs> Ruth.
1: Ruth. Ruth. Here's to you, Ruth. Oh yeah, and she's here's a good to mum. Ruth and Ruth Peter.
2: And Peter. Yeah. Oh, I we've never done this before. <laughs> this is very nice. Mm. Yeah. No, he he would have been very chuffed that. Um... I think he, well, he definitely would have played that he was the inspiration. You know, yeah. he would have been very happy that, well, obviously, I'm still <laughs> worth talking about. so What was,
1: uh, what did he do your dad? What was his?
2: Oh, my goodness. You've sneakily started interviewing me. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I've done enough talk.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um It's we I've talked about it before. Uh Like, I don't really know. It was like business. Mm. And when I got married, you still have to say what your father's occupation is. And I was at the registry office with my mum and brother. And um they said, on father's occupation? And I was like, uh... Uh oh, uh, like Tom, what, what should I? And he was like, Oh, uh, uh, mum. She was like, Oh, business because <laughs> he sort of worked in like marketing, PR, yeah. like he ran his own business from home. But where,
1: where were you? Where Where did you live then? North Wales? London. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. there was some Welsh connection. Oh, there, yeah. so
2: he's his fat, he was Welsh, right? But and the name I have is extremely Welsh, yes. But I grew up in North London, and yeah. my mum is. Originally from East London, so I'm quite Londony, but the name Carried Lloyd yeah. really foxes people because they're yeah. like, Oh Shallak and Rai, Carried Lloyd, and I'm like, Oh, sorry, I'm
1: from <laughs> I'm from the
2: suburbs of North
1: London. Well you could do that little bit of Welsh. I
2: can say do even Ryan," which means I can't speak Welsh. So
1: yeah. anything yeah. else you can say? No, that's it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I can't even say that because I I can
1: speak Welsh. No. <laughs> I don't even I don't
2: even know which bit of what I'm saying means I can't yeah. speak Welsh. Someone just Well, that's the, the way we
1: do a lot of languages. Yeah. This is a What's that? That's Russian for hello. Oh, good. Because it. I always think, does your ass fit you? Said very quickly. <laughs> does your ass fit you?
2: Does your ass fit you?
1: Yeah. Some Russians
2: listening suddenly went, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> and
1: I can say, yeah, uh, I spill coffee for a What's
2: that?
1: That is Danish for, I have spilt coffee <laughs> on the anteater.
2: <laughs> I can only say in Danish, hol keft oh that's good Means I mean shut up
1: oh how do you like you obviously had a, a stroppy danish friend
2: yeah i did <laughs> because my mum's best friend is danish ah. and they her and her daughter would speak danish to each other yeah. and i'd always hear clear.
1: <laughs> that's what i the only thing and i you ever did japanese up. as well then did you
2: say? so yeah well my sister always taught me i know
1: <laughs> Oh.
2: Kusai, which means smelly Oh. Because that's what she always says about my if my my brother or one of her yeah. sons is around well, think, yeah. and has been to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs>
1: she said,
2: "Ah, oh, kusai, kusai." <laughs>
1: that's
2: what that's what I love it. Yeah, well, Japanese
1: are very clear, cleanly, aren't cleanly. Yes, I think. I think
2: she is slightly disappointed in the disgustingness of my family. Have, have you seen the
1: comedian uh, Yukiro?
2: I haven't. I've heard of her. No, I haven't. She seen does
1: an eras routine about the word "ish." All oh, right, w- which of course doesn't really exist in Japanese. She's like, I'll be there at two-ish. Yeah, you know, what do yeah. you mean? You'll be there at two or three minutes past, <laughs> And then we extend it to, did you have a good time-ish?
2: Ish, yeah. you know? <laughs> so
1: it's a ridiculous word. Yeah. It's very British. Very British. 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 Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, anyway, you're very skilled at this, Arthur. Um,
1: do you want me to interview you some more? Tell no, me I want, don't. I'm I happy don't. to do it. I don't want to. <laughs> this is
2: like a podcast takeover. It's like, oh, my God, I'm suddenly... Yeah,
1: I'm moving in. You're being shunted yeah. out. I'm taking over No one's ever on.
2: successfully done that before. People have tried, and I'm try, trying to wrestle it back into talking about about death again.
1: Well, um, we can, there's more deaths I've known of. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, where I live in this sort of block of flats in South London in Balham, a lady knocked on the door one day and asked to take my picture because she wanted to be a professional photographer. And then um, she and she took some pictures and she lived there and we had a little bit of a thing and then she went off somewhere else and disappeared. I never I didn't see her again. And then about two years later there was a knock on the door and an old lady said, hello, I just want to say I knew her name and... I'm her mother, and she died in a car crash. and I brought these photos back that she took of you.
2: Wow.
1: Which was heartbreaking, as you can imagine.
2: So she wanted to be a photographer. That's why she had that. So she had pictures of you.
1: Yeah, because I was slightly well known, and she thought that would help with her portfolio, I suppose. I know. And then there was another, in fact, if anyone's listening to this, ever remembers a a girl called um, Kirby, who used to hang around the comedy circuit a lot in the 80s. And then I didn't see her again. I had a letter from at home that I found. and I didn't see her for ages. And then someone said, I don't know if it was true or not, that she died in a car crash as well. Ugh, could be. And I never, I never knew, you know. Yeah. I suppose that's the case sometimes. People, you know, you hear someone you knew has died and you didn't yeah. know. And then...
2: Yeah, and that is the, like the life, that's living life, isn't it? It's the mm. process we go through. You lose people. And it's very strange when it's that kind of like you have your pool... Yeah, that's obviously very close to you and that sort of those distant pools where yeah. you're like oh that person isn't yeah. there anymore and it doesn't affect me in any shape or form because they weren't yeah. in my life but there's that sort of moment I think mm. those moments are when you sort of really hit your own mortality because yeah. you're like oh I mean that could have been me and there could yeah. have been Kirby someone else being like oh but yeah I hadn't seen him for ages like mm. that weird like oh we're all just existing and then are all yeah. going to die. That's and all the, that's going to yeah, happen. I remember
1: in Lucerne, there's this rather f- fabulous medieval bridge across the across the, the mouth of the Lake River there. And it's got all these pictures on, and it's sort of of families. And there's there's one of a of an old man who's obviously very old, and then there's the family around him, but then there's death. You know, there's the guy with the scythe, and he's actually going for one of the young ones, wow. you know. Which is a reminder that...
2: Yeah, yeah, it's not...
1: And especially back then, of course. I mean, it's in, it's in I mean, it's still the most dangerous day of your life is still your birthday.
2: Wow, um, yeah, yeah.
1: That's the day you're most likely to die other than, other than the day you do actually die, I suppose. And if you think back to those times where... I mean, you see it, don't you, so often in graveyards there's, you know, Mrs Simpson and Mr Simpson died and then there's sort of three... The names of three people, children who died yeah, before they before did. Before they
2: did, yeah. I and mean,
1: those parents whose children died before
2: yeah. they did,
1: or, you know, that, but that was very common then. I mean, yeah, the, the I Bronte's, mean... their dad died, uh, all his children had died before he did. I was thinking of him up there in Haworth.
2: That must have been pretty grim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> must I mean, have been how a you bit cope grim. With that,
1: all your children have <laughs> God, died. No, and I brilliant.
2: It's just, but I think that's the thing, because death, like you said, I think used to be so prevalent and unavoidable. Mm. And it, it, it is avoidable now. You can, I guess, in that world of community getting bigger. Whereas in the past, perhaps in your village, you would have known Kirby and you would have known what happened to her. Yeah, yeah. Whereas we move in slightly bigger circles, yeah. it feels like. Well,
1: uh, back, you know, 200 years ago, most people never went more than about seven miles from, yeah. before, from where they were born. I always think trains must have been such an extraordinary yeah, thing to build. Yeah. Wow, you can go that fast and yeah. you can get to London in, in three hours rather than five days on a horse or something.
2: It would definitely make the Edinburgh Festival smaller it if you couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> you had to get on a horse for yeah. ten days. Yeah. it would put off a lot of people. You'd be like, really? Yeah. You really want to do this?
1: Yeah. It's a ten-day horse ride. I don't know if it was, How long would it have been, I wonder, oh, to get to Edinburgh from London on a horse? I've uh, no idea No, nor have I been. Yeah, well let's go with 10 days <laughs> because like you've got to stay off overnight and yeah. coach. You have to stop
2: along the way Yeah, and change
1: horses obviously
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that's true And so do you feel comfortable talking about death then? Do you feel like that's, as it's getting it is talked about more in society than it used to be or is it... Yes,
1: well like I say I have an older brother who is, is keen obsessed it. <laughs> with death yeah. uh, and he's endlessly going on about it and suggesting we don't talk about it enough and I mean, I think there is something to be said for you know you don't want to wake up every morning and think, "Oh God, I'm going to die."
2: <laughs> no, well, you even you though don't. it's
1: true. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, do. you. I think there's something to be said for forgetting about it a little yeah. bit occasionally. But I, obviously, yeah. uh, who is it? The French. A uh, philosopher, you know, I can't remember. I've got a really good quote that I can't remember.
2: <laughs> I can't remember any. I'm impressed you did a poem, to be honest. <laughs> I could never even remember one of my own poems.
1: And death shall have no dominion. Do not go gentle into oh, that yeah. good night. Old age shall rage and bore, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Yeah, I used to do a Dylan Thomas impression. That was an interesting death, His one. Yeah. Drank himself to death in New York. He was like the first big celebrity death, Dylan Thomas. Yeah. Well, and, I nearly drank myself to death. Oh, you know, really? in December the 12th, 2001, I woke up with a hideous pain in my stomach and I was went to hospital and I was in intensive care and I was more likely to die than live at that point because oh, I had... God. And this was from drinking. Yeah, yeah. Essentially. Uh, and... Not dying is quite a good feeling, in a way. When you might have done, yeah. and then you come out of hospital, and you just the light and overhearing people laughing you this, I can recommend nearly dying. <laughs> uh, it's good for, for making you, out. you enjoy life and make you realise how lucky you are.
2: What was it like when you were? Do you remember being in intensive care or anything yeah, like
1: that? Yeah, I do, and. I mean, I didn't quite know just how serious it was, although obviously I was in intensive yeah. care. They don't just put you in there for a toothache. But, <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I woke up the next morning to see that there was my mother and father and brothers and go all sitting around me. Wow. And I thought, oh, well, right, this is my deathbed scene. Um, oh, my God. But not dying, like I say, you know, I, I managed to, I mean, I, you know, I don't drink anymore and I... I, uh, you know, I got diabetes, and I've still got certain conditions off the back of it. But nevertheless, it it was, you know, it was a kind of rebirth for me as well because I was being too wild. There was no doubt, and and it gave me certainly for a bit you get a real sense of lightness that you know, the bearable lightness of being from not dying.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's really, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because you often see. People who have died, in you know, not even celebrities. I was just thinking about Amy Winehouse, but that kind of thing Mm. where you go sometimes you think, Oh, if only they just survived that one thing, perhaps they would have then had another life, another choice. But Mm. not everybody gets that. Like, it's just, oh, Amy
1: Winehouse. I wrote a little poem for her once. I met her, yeah. Oh, I do a thing on Radio 4 called Loose Ends where Mm. you. You sit and, you know, you're about... The distance that you and I apart yeah, was yeah. about two yards away from... I've seen, you know, I saw Amy Winehouse and, you know, The Clash and uh, Tony Bennett all singing to me as closely as that. it's a very really yeah. lucky uh, thing.
2: Did that come after your rebirth, should we say? Like, stuff like that? Yes. So did you feel like it really did make you go, oh, I'm going to live yeah. a bit more in yeah. a way that...
1: Yeah, it did. It was... Um, you know, I did a show off the back of it and I yeah, it calls me and then I finally settled down with my lovely partner, rather than the sort of wild life I've been leaving before. Um,
2: I suspect that when it does hit your funeral, there may be some quite good tales to be told. Yeah. yeah. I'm hoping it's a good gig.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it
2: I think it will be and it sounds like it's ended in the right way though. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you feel like you said it could have ended 2001. Oh with yeah, them going. Yeah. He was wild. Of course, it happened. Like. Yeah.
1: Well, I hope you're at my funeral rather than <laughs> I'm at yours, Carrie. Oh, <laughs> like... <laughs> Which cause it seems fair in that yeah, way. It? Yeah, yeah. I
2: think I, I think I'll take that. Mm. <laughs> I think that will be nice. Unless we both live to seven thousand five million. Oh yeah. God!
1: Can you imagine how rubbish that would be? Actually.
2: <laughs> we can stand at the back, slagging yeah. off. I'm the I'm sorry,
1: comic. I'm busy today, yeah. but. How about in uh, January 2714? I'll meet you at 10am. Yeah, I'll meet you there.
2: We can see who's doing the eulogy in Slagamon. <laughs> oh, they're no good. I'll never like them. Well, Arthur, thank you so much for coming My to talk pleasure, to me. My pleasure, carrie It was wonderful.
1: Well, here's to, to, to Peter and Ruth.
2: You can follow Arthur on Twitter at arthur smith but it is spelt just to confuse you and to make you giggle at a r f u r smith like arthur smith he's going to be at the soho theater from the 28th of june to the 13th of july Uh, so head to the soho theater website to see him in london but he's also on tour Uh, follow him on twitter look at his website you can find all the details of where you should 100% go and see the legend that is arthur smith you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland, with thanks to Whistledown Studios, and the music was provided by The Glue Ensemble. And remember, you are not alone.